From PI Media, this is Curious Minds. I'm Ren Levy. I'm Kelly O'Loughlin. Welcome to a special series, Heroes of Podcasting, all about the history and future of podcasting. In this episode, Karl-Heinz Brandenburg, inventor of the MP3 format. This episode is the first in the new series of episodes called Heroes of Podcasting. The series will explore the history and future of podcasting, and our goal is to give you a sense of how podcasting got to be what it is today, a new, vibrant media with a mix of independent creators alongside grizzled radio veterans. Each episode in the series will feature a single guest who is a pioneer of podcasting in content or in technology. Guests like Leo Laporte from This Week in Tech, Todd Cochran from Blueberry, Mignon Fogarty, the Grammar Girl, Aaron Mankey from Lore, Julie Shapiro, the executive producer of Radiotopia, Jay Soderberg, the Podvader and head of content for Blog Talk Radio, and Margaret Brown, the publisher of Podster Magazine. Some of our guests have been podcasting as far back as 2004, while others started just a few years ago. But every one of them will shine a new and unique light on the past and the future of our favorite new media. We'll start the series with the story of the MP3 format, the technology that is the cornerstone of podcasting. Most of you have encountered MP3s before, It's the de facto standard for music files across the world, and the way the vast majority of podcasts, including Curious Minds, of course, are distributed. It's safe to say that we probably wouldn't have podcasting without MP3. MP3 is an algorithm. It's a series of computations that transform a raw audio recording into a stream of bits that represent the same audio but take much less space. It is a relatively recent invention, and the man responsible for it, more than any other, is Professor Karl-Heinz Brandenburg. I reached out to the professor back in 2011 for an episode about podcasting on my Israeli podcast. His assistant gave me a telephone number, but every time I dialed it, I got this recorded message. Hello? Hello? What is that? What is it saying? I've got no idea. All I know in German is Gesundheit, and I'm pretty sure there was not a single Gesundheit in that message. Hello? Hello? Took me a while, but I finally figure out the problem. Hello? Hi, this is Ron. Ah, sorry, this works. Okay. <laughs> is this Professor Karl Heinz? Yes. Oh, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> After so many attempts. The number you tried, uh, you wrote in your other email is correct, and we have no idea why this should connect to the voicemail. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kept getting uh, some sort of, maybe it was a uh, problem at my end. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the problem then? Uh, I dialed the wrong number. Don't tell the professor, okay? Okay, my name is Karl-Heinz Brandenburg. I'm nowadays professor at Ilmenau Technical University and at the same time uh, the director of the Fraunhofer Institute for Digital Media Technology, 
And most people who know my name know it because I've been involved in the research in audio coding and standardization and so on leading to MP3. Don't let Karl Heinz's modesty fool you. His research and direct involvement in the standardization process of MP3 later on are the main reasons for MP3's success. Uh, that goes back to the time when I did my master thesis at the University in Erlangen. And my thesis advisor had done a patent application uh, that the at that time new ISDN, Integrated Services Digital Network, should be used to transmit music. And the patent examiner in his first answer wrote, according to the state of the art, music needs much higher bit rates than available on ISDN, so this is not possible and impossible ideas can't be patented. This time he was correct. So, uh, Seitzer looked for a student who could look into this and find out what is possible. And I had just uh, finished my master's work and was looking for uh, some possibility to do my PhD. So I thought, okay, so this is a nice idea. I, it probably won't work, but hopefully there will be enough results to get uh, the PhD. The patent clerk who examined Dieter Zeitzer's proposal rejected it for a very good reason. One second of an average song in CD quality contains 10 megabytes of information. That's like a shelf full of thick paperback books. Sending this much raw information through the internet is rather trivial today, but it was far from trivial back in the 1980s with low bandwidth modems. But telephone technology has been around for more than a century, so transmitting voice and music over electrical wires must be possible, right? Yes, but Professor Zeiter didn't want to just transmit music over electrical wires. He also wanted to preserve its original quality. Music played over the telephone never retains its original quality. It sounds muffled and muddy. Telephone systems have relatively low bandwidth. That is, they can transmit huge amounts of data. To be able to transmit music or voice over telephone lines, special filters remove some of the frequencies from the audio before it is sent and reduce the amount of information it contains. The overall quality of the audio is reduced, but not enough to prevent speech from being understood. It's like removing the color from a movie. It might not be as enjoyable in black and white as it was in color, but it is still a movie nevertheless. Now, Karl Heinz Brandenburg's goal was to find a way to transmit audio without the penalty of reduced quality. It also had to be done in real time. That is, the listener should be able to listen to the audio while it is being transmitted, much like in the telephone. This meant that Karl Heinz had to find a way to compress the audio significantly, yet retain its quality. It's like trying to bake a cake that would be sweet and tasty, but have the caloric content of a stock of celery. So the route that Karl Heinz decided to take was that of psychoacoustics. The roots of psychoacoustics go back to 1894, when a physicist named Alfred Marshall Mayer reported an interesting discovery. 
he noticed that when listening to two tones of similar frequencies, one tone will tend to overpower or mask the other tone, even though they are separate frequencies, and so they should be processed separately by the auditory system. For example, when a 1000 Hz tone is played simultaneously with a weaker 1100 Hz tone, the weaker tone will be masked out and will not be heard. So the higher frequency sound will be overpowered by the lower one. Masking is just one example of how what we hear depends not only on what is being played to us, but it also depends on the structure of our ear and the way our brain processes the received information. The science that explores that sound perception is psychoacoustics. Researchers discovered, even as early as the 1970s, that they can use these weaknesses and limitations of the human auditory processing system to better compress audio without affecting its overall perceived quality. The key to doing this is to filter out the frequencies we can't hear. Weak sounds next to loud sounds, or weak sounds in very high or really low frequencies. So if we return to the earlier cake analogy, if we remove ingredients that contribute calories but don't contribute to the cake's tastiness, well, it's a win-win. We're saving calories without losing flavor. So in audio, the end result is a compressed form of audio with no perceptible loss of sound quality. In practice, in the 1970s, there was neither the theoretical knowledge nor the technology for analyzing a piece of music and identifying all the various frequencies and volume levels it contained. This is where Karl Heitz Brandenburg stepped in. He was both a mathematician and electronics engineer, so he could approach the problem from both perspectives. In his doctoral thesis, he laid out a mathematical foundation for the efficient analysis of audio, and later he and his colleagues at the German Fraunhofer Institute implemented his idea in practice using specially designed computer chips. Now, Kelly, what do you think is the most difficult and challenging music to compress? Hmm... I'm thinking a classical piece, probably, maybe one played by a large symphony orchestra. Yeah, that was my first guess as well, but we're both wrong. Karl Heinz's most challenging piece of music was almost the opposite. I am sitting in the morning. You know Suzanne Vega? She's the singer who sings Tom's Diner, and she has an a cappella version of that song. And he fills it only halfway, and before I even argue, he is looking out the window. So this song has no musical instruments at all, only Suzanne Vega singing into the microphone. It's actually this simplicity that paradoxically turns the a cappella version of Tom's Diner into such a hard nut to crack. It is always nice to see you, says the man behind the counter. Suzanne Vega's clear voice strained the compression algorithm to its limits and exposed any weaknesses it had. What makes Susan Vega's voice so difficult to encode? Uh, this is a cappella music. And to understand this, uh, you need to know that our ears are especially trained uh, to get uh, the nice little details of human speech. So speech is something where 
it's easier for us to hear differences than for other musical signals. And uh, Susan Wiege in this a cappella recording stands in the middle. You hear a little bit of the room, so it's not exactly the same on left and right, uh, but it's a very clear and clean voice. And uh, in terms uh, of frequencies, if you look at it, uh, you will find that it's very rich from low frequencies to high frequencies. So all throughout uh, the spectrum, the different frequencies we can hear. And that together makes it really difficult. It took many months of hard work to improve the compression algorithm so it could handle Suzanne's voice and some other challenging sounds, like the sounds of castanets, for example. Finally, in 1992, all hurdles were cleared and the research was complete. It's important to note, though, at this point, Carl Heinz didn't think that the new compression algorithm would be useful for music consumers. People were using CD players at the time, which did a very decent job. Carl Heinz expected the algorithm to be useful in the film industry, where it would allow the distribution of movies on DVDs along with high-quality audio. Unfortunately, though, the Moving Picture Experts Group, or MPEG for short, well, their standards committee chose a different compression algorithm for movie audio, an algorithm that wasn't as effective as the one suggested by Carl Heinz, but it was easier to implement with existing technology. This was, without a doubt, a bitter disappointment for Carl Heinz. After more than 10 years of intensive research, he now had a revolutionary algorithm that compressed audio tenfold without affecting its quality. But nobody wanted it. The new algorithm did eventually win the approval of the MPEG committee and was even assigned an official name, MPEG-2 Audio Layer 3. But except for a handful of software companies, the industry all but ignored it. Two of Carl Heinz's colleagues at the Fraunhofer Institute remember displaying their innovation in an event organized by the Bavarian government. But nine out of every ten visitors skipped their booth and were drawn to a much more attractive innovation displayed nearby. Yeah, there was a nice episode which didn't really that much contribute to the success of MP3. <laughs> But uh, it really deepened uh, our personal relationship. Oh, yes, Bernard. <laughs> because uh, it was the first time we were away from the laboratory on some yes. nice trade show, we believed so. Yeah. Because it was announced as a fair for really new technology. Yeah. So we found ourselves, uh, our booth was located just next uh, to a, a Mephisto chess computer. Yeah. which was very interesting. And at the other side of the booth, we were framed by a nice uh, new invention uh, which uh, allowed beer to be cooled down. And yeah, uh, Because we have to add, it was a joint booth from the Bavarian Ministry for Economics, economics probably. probably. And so what would you expect from a Bavarian high-technology exhibition? Of course, a nice beer-cooling device. And maybe a chess computer, but audio codec, that was a com completely unknown thing. So that was a little strange display, that was the first thing. And the second was that there were practically uh, no visitors. So there were more exhibitors than visitors. So we were happy then that maybe 10 people per day came to this Bavarian booth 
and 9.5 of them, they were interested in the beer cooling device and not in our way cool audio codec. So that was a disappointment. It was roughly at that time that the World Wide Web took hold with the general public. After some initial discussions, Karl Heinz and his peers in the Fraunhofer Institute decided to give the Internet a shot. They would offer the new compression algorithm for sale as a way to compress music files stored on a personal computer. The licensing scheme was such that creating an MP3 file would cost money, but listening to one would not. This scheme turned out to be a smart one, since it allowed MP3 players, like Winamp, if you remember from the 1990s, be distributed free of charge and made MP3 popular among internet users. Software companies that wish to include MP3 creation in their products purchased the rights to use the algorithm from the Fraunhofer Institute. Then, in 1997, when things were finally beginning to fall into place for MP3, disaster struck. Some student from Australia using a credit card number stolen from Taiwan bought some software from Tenloe near, near Erlangen in Germany, got the software, discovered <coughs> that we used a well-documented internal interface by Microsoft, wrote a different user interface, packaged it with our encoder core, put it on an FTP site to the US, and wrote a readme file saying, this is freeware, thanks to Fraunhofer. <laughs> We've not at all been happy about that. The Australian student who hacked the software and released the MP3 algorithm to the world destroyed the Fraunhofer Institute's business model. The compression algorithm was no longer a secret, and the academic institute had neither the will nor the resources to pursue each and every pirate who used it illegally. Fraunhofer had no choice but to dramatically lower the asking price for the MP3 license. However, ironically, Fraunhofer's loss is why MP3 is so wildly successful today. Pirated versions of the algorithm let users freely convert their music collections over to MP3 format, and file-sharing networks like Napster and Kazaa took off almost immediately. The end result was that the Fraunhofer Institute is still making a good profit from licensing the MP3 algorithm to legitimate software companies. Even Karlheinz, it seems, is happy with how things turned out. In Germany, we have a very nice law. If inventions are patented, then even if the inventors work for some company, they have to get some share of the royalty income. In the case of MP3, this gets a lot of money every year for Fraunhofer. And some of this money goes to the inventors. So I think we have a group of 30 or 40 people at Fraunhofer alone who get some share of this royalty income. And uh, for me, uh, from 
my style of living, I have to say I am rich. <laughs> <laughs> And so MP3 technology transformed the music industry. CD and record stores are all but gone and music is now sold on the web by the likes of Apple and Amazon or is streamed with Pandora or Spotify. The record labels lost much of their former power. Now that artists can distribute their music as MP3 files directly to the listeners via services like SoundCloud. And of course, it allowed content creators like us to record and distribute podcasts without needing powerful transmitters and tall antennas. Podcasting owes its existence to MP3, and some say it may someday replace FM radio. Will MP3 kill FM radio in the same way it killed the music stores? Only time will tell. That's it for this episode. The next shows in the series will focus on the personal stories of some of the most important figures in podcasting, both in the past and the present. Subscribe to Curious Minds on our website, cmpod.net, and on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Write to us at ran at cmpod.net, R-A-N at cmpod.net. Curious Minds are Kelly O'Loughlin, co-host and editor, Nir Sayag is our sound engineer, Danity Moore is our business manager, and me, Ran Levy, producer and writer. See you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.